0: Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So we got another flurry of questions that I want to get to today. Once again, I want to thank you all for that. If you have any interest yourself in calling in, or texting for that matter, Headphone phone number is 608 501 608-501-0718. So I want to start right out of the gate, um, just kind of, I don't know, get rolling here. And the first thing I want to do is offer up a few thank yous. Um, this is toward football players and our GM. Because as I was listening to a few different things, it became very clear to me that, you know, and I've said it on this podcast several times, the free agency is not a supermarket. You hear so many people complaining, oh, they didn't do anything, we didn't get this, we didn't get that. And in particular, you think about last year, how many times Brian Gutekunst picked up the phone and inquired about players I mean as I've said several times every single player that was available that was a big name and you heard Ian Rappaport say there's four teams interested the Packers were one of them they were in on everybody they were calling about everybody but we didn't get a lot of those guys we didn't get most of those guys this year however I think I I, I don't know of anybody that the Packers were quote-unquote in on that they didn't get I didn't know about Billy Turner. But I heard early on that the Packers were in on Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith, which in my mind meant maybe they'd get one of them, probably neither, and it would be somebody else. I mean, just from an odd standpoint, right? I mean, it's probably just not going to get them, but maybe. And I also had heard that the Packers were interested in Adrian Amos. But I figured, yeah, it's probably just one of several safeties. They're probably interested or, you know, inquiring about all of them, but whatever. And I want to emphasize it at least from one standpoint here. As I said, it's not a supermarket, which means Brian Gutekunst has to win these players. When you listen to a little bit of the behind the scenes about other teams that were fighting so hard to get these players, and the fact that Green Bay and Brian Gutekunst won those battles and brought those players here, when you hear about how badly the Houston Texans won in Adrian Amos, the fact that they were fighting to the bitter end to try to get him and the Packers ended up winning him over, Why? As a Packer fan, I would it, it's so easy to see why I would go to Green Bay, but why? Granted, money is, is kind of a big factor here, but a lot of these teams, if they want you, and you look at the money Adrian Amos got, you can't tell me that the Texans couldn't have offered that or better. I mean, just, just, just realistically, the Houston Texans and their defense. You get to go to Houston, which is warmer weather. It's a dome team. It's a very defensive team, right? J.J. Watt and all those guys, right? Solid defense. It's what they're known for. I would argue it's an ascending team. You've got a young talented quarterback, you've got the best wide receiver in the NFL, add you in there and a couple offensive linemen, this is a really good football team. The Green Bay Packers are a cold weather team. There's no dome. Beyond that, I you know, we we talk all this time about, "Oh, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron everybody wants to come see Aaron Aaron Rodgers." Aaron. Man, get out of your dance party. I mean, it just to, to at some point, come on, who cares? And I know we do that every time somebody gets here and we talk to them, like, how <laughs> how excited are you to be here? Like, how honored are you to be in my house right now? And, of course, they are going to be like, oh, it's the, it's the greatest thing ever. But this is where you're going to spend a long time. And if we take an honest look at the Green Bay Packers, Aaron Rodgers hasn't had a good year since when? Granted, it's one bad year and an injury, but it is what it is. Packers haven't been in the playoffs in two years. I mean, in the last two years. Packers haven't won a Super Bowl since 2010, and any honest look at the Packers says they're trending downward. Beyond that, they have a historically terrible defense, one of the worst historically terrible defenses over the last 10, 15, 20 years of any franchise in the NFL. Adrian Amos was battled for. One of the teams that really wanted him was the Texans. Brian Gudekunst won that battle. That deserves a lot of credit. We've heard about Zedarius Smith and some of the other teams that were interested in him, but apparently, unless the person just got the name wrong, Preston Smith, real crazy. Real, real close and down to the wire about him coming to Green Bay. Apparently the Jets and the Colts wanted him real bad. And to be honest, I'm about 60% sure that they mistake Preston for Zedarius, but let's just say they're interchangeable at this point, because who cares? Plug whoever's Nate, well, I'll just say Smith and you figure out whoever you want it to be. But apparently, the Jets were in real, real hard on Smith, as were the Colts. i it, It's Zedarius. <laughs> he was wrong. And it's interesting, because if you marry the two stories together, for example, how Zedarius Smith was in on the Jets, and the Jets bowed out, and I'll get to that in a minute, because I have a feeling the Jets would have outbid us if not for this one other person I want to thank. But something really flukish happened. The Jets decide, we're not in on Zedarius Smith anymore. They drop out of the race, and then... It's basically a done deal that the Packers have a deal with Zadarius Smith, and it gets reported, and apparently it wasn't official yet because the Colts were still pushing real hard, and they're like, nope, not done yet. We got more offers coming. Don't, don't, nope, don't leave, and it's funny because if you go listen to Zedarius Smith tell the story about what happened, he tells the story and says that his agent calls him, I don't know, probably three in the afternoon or something. He's like, dude, I think it's going to be the Packers. Hold tight, and he's all excited and everything, and he actually was down with his family at the time, so he was with his mom. You know the story. A lot of times, is he found out and then drove by his mom and went and got her out of work or whatever. No, he he drove down. He was with his mom, like at the start of free agency, and like he and his family were sitting around waiting for the phone call. Well, it was like seven hours later, and he's thinking, man, this fell through. It didn't happen. It's not going to work out. Something went wrong. Well, I believe, and I don't, I can't confirm this. But I believe that these two stories are interchangeable. In other words, the deal was basically done with the Packers. The Colts came back to the table and said, nope, new offer, don't go anywhere. So there was more negotiation going on. But the Packers came back over the top, and again, Brian Gutekunst comes out ahead. And of course, again, Preston Smith and Billy Turner. But just, just real big props to that guy. Because, I mean, it's it's. I have a feeling it's, it's brutal. I mean, trying to make a, a sales pitch to these players with, you know, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 different teams, elite-level salesmen, throwing around millions of dollars and trying to recruit you to their city and to their team, and, and they've got all this stuff to sell you on. Brian Gutekunst just cleaned up, man. Dude is a closer. And yeah, a lot of times money talks, we had money, we threw more money at somebody, and that's how you win. Still, there is really not very much about this team that is much of a sales point anymore, especially when we got all defense. It's hard to sell Packers defense to anybody. Hey, but you get to play with Aaron Rodgers. Dude, if you want to watch Aaron Rodgers, you can watch him on TV. There's a lot of good quarterbacks in the NFL these days. Let's stop pretending that this is like some elite city to come hang out at because we got Aaron Rodgers. I'm very very sorry, but give me a break. I'm sure it's very cool. I know Green Bay is historic. All that is very cool. That's a really good reason for these players in the offseason to hop on a private jet, come fly to Green Bay, take the tour, and go back to their beach house. That's not a reason for me to spend the next four years in the frozen tundra in a small town playing for a team that is seemingly in decline for a defense that can never seem to get their stuff together. No, yeah, as Packer fans, it's easy to make a sales pitch about what went wrong in previous years, why it's going to get better, why Aaron Rodgers is going to re-all that stuff. But I'm just saying, from the outside looking in, every team can make that sales pitch. Every team is better than they were last year. Every team is this and that. The other thing, I'm, I'm just saying, I want to thank Brian Gutekunst and give him a round of applause because he did a phenomenal job getting everybody here. But there's one other guy. And this is somebody that we haven't liked for a very long time, but I feel like we owe him a big thank you. Because the fact of the matter is, we were able to barely outbid the Colts. They were they wanted Zedarius real bad. Possibly Preston, but we're we're saying Zedarius. But the Jets have basically unlimited income. If they want somebody real bad, they can easily just overpay. I mean, they, they can win that arms race. Right? Is this is this an unreasonable price? Yes it is. Am I gonna pay it? You betcha. <laughs> you betcha. Betcha. And it's pass rusher. But here's the situation. Apparently, they were looking real hard for a pass rusher and ended up accepting a deal or had a deal accepted by Mr. Anthony Barr of the Minnesota Vikings. When they got their pass rusher of the future in Anthony Barr, they decided they didn't need Zedarius Smith anymore. So they backed out. Gutekunst and uh, Ballard duked it out, and the Packers ended up winning. And then, of course, Anthony Barr decided he was physically ill about the thought of, of leaving Minnesota and going to the Jets, which, by the way, I feel horrible for Jets fans because this is not the first person that they just flat-out lost out on. They were supposed to have Matt Paradise from the uh, from the Broncos, a very, very good center. They were going to have him locked up. Having money, isn't it? And, and that's part of what I'm talking about. The idea that just because you got a bunch of money doesn't mean anything. The Jets had a bunch of money. They tried to throw a bunch of money at guys, and guys are like, I don't want to go play for the Jets, man. just don't want to. It's the Jets. No thank you. And fortunately for us, Anthony Barr was one of those guys. And as a result of that, the Jets did not outbid us for Zedarius Smith. Z'Darrius Smith is now a Green Bay Packer. And I don't know if it necessarily is 100% accurate, but for all time, I will be saying that Zadarius Smith is a Green Bay Packer because of Anthony Barr, and every single time that Zadarius Smith gets a sack against a Minnesota quarterback, whoever it may be, I will thank Anthony Barr for that, or any time I feel it appropriate to do so. A win in the playoffs, thank you, Anthony Barr. Pretty much any time it would really upset a Vikings fan, make sure we throw that back in their face, that Zadarius Smith is a Packer thanks to Anthony Barr. So he ruined one of our seasons. Hopefully he can... Um, hopefully he made up for that. So all is forgiven and forgotten, my friend. Not by pretty much anybody else in Packers land, but I'm going to go ahead and say that. So anyways, it was very cool. I listened to a bunch of different things, you know, Zadarius Smith's story, and then uh, listening to different podcasts, you know, Ian Rappaport listening to Zadarius Smith, and uh, different stories about teams and free agency. And it wasn't even necessarily about the Packers, it was just kind of, you know, Talking about different free agents and how different teams were in on them and missed out, and it just happened to be that a lot of them were the guys that the Packers ended up getting. Right, like oh, there was a heated battle for this guy, Packers won. Also, a heated battle for this guy, pa- Packers won again. Also, Preston Smith, eh, Packers won that guy too. So it's it, it was it was very cool and eye opening to hear that because um, you know again, it's 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 a tough pitch, and uh, we got a closer, and, and you you have to be that. You can't just be aggressive for the sake of being ag- aggressive. You can't just put me in there and say, be aggressive and be like, all right, I'm just going to throw a bunch of money at people because I'm just going to wander around, get on the phone, and be like, hey, man, you want, you, you want some money? I'll no, Okay, all right, have fun with the Jets, bud. Okay, best of luck, bye. You got to sell. You got to be a salesman. And Gudekunst and his staff, whoever else is working the phones, they sold hard, man. That's kind of cool. All right, let's dive into a couple different questions. I'll start with uh, Andy from Wisconsin who lives in Kansas, which is how he introduces himself now. I'm going to be honest, man, I had a real hard time understanding what you were saying in in this entire message. It was pretty long, but I want to just take it piece by piece. I'm not going to play the whole thing because it is, as I said, very long. But I want to just take some pieces of it, and I apologize to you if I misunderstand what you're saying. But again, it, it feels like right at that important point where it would help me with the context of what you're asking me. That's the one word I couldn't understand. But before you got to your question, it, it, it sounded like you were saying that I didn't answer one of your questions. So maybe I missed it. I'm really not sure. Sorry. But one of the things I talked about yesterday was, and in, in, in times past, is this idea of, you know, the the new way of doing things seems to be young quarterback, build up your defense, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, again, sounds like you said that that doesn't seem to be a successful strategy. Now, Somebody else had pointed to something like this in the Facebook group. Um, Not exactly this, but the idea that, well, you know, you can't guarantee that you're going to hit on defensive players. You can't guarantee you're going to hit on a quarterback. You know, if you draft a guy, he could be a bum. If you go out in free agency, the guy could be a bum. I understand that it's not a perfect strategy, but I'm not talking about a perfect strategy. I'm just talking about a different philosophy. Because again, the, the other strategy, the old strategy of draft an elite quarterback and then win for 20 years is a near guaranteed miss because there are very few that you can put in that category. right? The Chiefs seem to have got that guy. The Packers got that guy. You can maybe say like Phillip Rivers is in that category. Maybe, even though he hasn't got there. I think he had the talent to. You know, maybe sort of like that Ben Roethlisberger tier, where he's he's good enough to get you there. He's definitely a franchise type guy. But let's say Ben Roethlisberger and up, Eli doesn't count. I don't know how he got two Super Bowls, but that's that's a different situation. That is not top tier quarterback winning Super Bowls, right? But the I'm just saying, like you know, we can't view the old way of doing it as this is football. You have to have a quarterback. That is just a current philosophy, and football changes and it transforms. And I'm I'm saying that it seems to be wanting to go a different way. And to your point that it's not working, I would definitely rebut that. First of all, the the very first thing that comes to mind is the 2017 Super Bowl with the Philadelphia Eagles. That's exactly what they did. They had a rookie quarterback. They spent a bunch of money on defense. You look at the Chicago Bears. Now, a lot of the Chicago Bears has to do with draft and develop. They drafted well. They developed with with, uh, Vic Fangio, who did a great job of coaching these guys up. But Khalil Mack was a massive free agent addition that they could pay for because they had a rookie quarterback. It absolutely helped them get into the playoffs. I think Rams are doing something similar. They did add a lot of pieces on offense, but they got guys like Andami and Sue. They added, you know, Marcus Peters. They went out and got Dante Fowler, you know, Aqib Talib, Sam Shields. Right? They they bulked up a lot of their defense through free agency, and a lot of their success is due to that. And again, a lot of this. The other interesting aspect of this is that nobody seems to be asking why don't you draft a young quarterback. And then spend your free agent resources on offense. And again, the Rams did that to some extent. They went out and got some wide receivers, and some teams do that. But it seems to me that the strategy is young, talented quarterback, stack up on defense. Why? Because those are the two main characteristics. But it's still interesting in an offensive league, we don't say, okay, we got a young quarterback, let's just go out and buy a bunch of offensive linemen, buy a running back, buy some wide receivers, buy a tight end, and go out and win. No, 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 no. Get a quarterback, buy a defense. But it it, it points to the the idea that when we have a bunch of money, we're going defense. We need to build up that defense. So it's it's an interesting conversation. I would say for for number one, it is successful. Number two, it's interesting that it seems to be a foregone conclusion that when you have a bunch of money, you want to build up a defense. And I think for Packers fans especially, it's important to realize that's been our missing piece since forever. We need a top 10, ideally top 5 defense, and we have to get there. You know, even if you look into the draft, it's like, well, we need a wide receiver and I I really feel like we got to get that number 2 guy and we we need a better tight end and we really could use a better offense. Listen. You look at the teams that are successful. Every single one of them has holes. But a lot of these guys have a talented offense, especially a talented quarterback and a strong defense. The Saints They finally got over the top when they figured out the defense. Granted, they have an elite offense. That's absolutely true. But it's when they figured out the defense. The Eagles had a good offense. When they finally dominated on defense, that's when they went and won a Super Bowl. The Chargers made a deep push. Defense got real strong. Patriots, always defense. Right? The offense is solid with the quarterback, the scheme. They've got role players on offense. Great. Let's figure out how to make role players successful. But it's solid defense. Colts dominant 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 defense that came out of nowhere yes they have and listen listen you want to follow a successful path the Colts or the Green Bay Packers elite quarterback one really good wide receiver decent enough run game we built you know they built up the offensive line a little bit otherwise it's dominant defense they made a massive push and going into the playoffs they were the team that nobody wanted to mess with Chiefs are all offense they're there that's old school that's it's funny that it's old school because that's supposed to be new school. But I mean, that, they're, they're the 2011 Packers, right? Nobody can stop this offense, but their defense is kind of trash. You look at the Rams, and everybody thinks offense, but the interesting thing is, it was the offense that lost that Super Bowl. The Super Bowl was 13 to three. The Rams' defense, as far as I'm concerned, won that game. The Patriots scored 13 points. That should have been a victory for the Rams. The defense did fine. The offense let them down. Cowboys. Look at how much they've revamped that defense. Look at the, the draft of Leighton Van Esch and how much him in the middle of that defense has helped that defense. Which, by the way, if you want to understand why somebody like a Devin White or a Devin Bush or a solid linebacker can really help a defense, look at Leighton Van Der Esch. The guy is great in coverage. The guy is great against the run. He's a violent enforcer in the middle of the field. Chicago Bears. I mean, I'm just going through this, the, the teams that were in the playoffs. The Chicago Bears. Look at that defense. Their offense is trash, man. They don't have good running backs. Their quarterback is not good. They overpaid for mid-tier wide receivers. They don't have one wide receiver on their team that can even, you know, come near Devontae Adams. And again, quarterback. I mean, come on. So we've we've got the guy. We've got the quarterback. Now we need the defense. Texans. Defense. 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 Yes, they have and again, another team. Texans have their quarterback. They have one very good wide receiver otherwise it's defense. They're a playoff team. Seattle Seahawks, good quarterback, terrible offensive line, you know, decent enough wide receivers, one or two depending on who's healthy, who's there depending on the year, but it's basically quarterback, one or two receiving options and elite defense. These are all the playoff teams. That's it. You know, Baltimore Ravens. Let's face it, the Baltimore Ravens quarterback, that dude is bad. Maybe hopefully for his sake he gets better. He is terrible. They also don't have wide receivers. They don't have a lot else going on. But that defense was enough to get them into the playoffs. If they can just get the quarterback thing figured out, they're a very, very viable team. And it's similar to the Bears. If that dude figures it out in year two, Ravens are scary. Now, granted, their entire defense imploded, but, you know, I'm just saying. So there does seem to be a formula, and it doesn't necessarily have to be as staunch as, well, get a young guy, and then on his rookie contract, you pay for a bunch of... Because... First of all, the young guy has to be somewhat talented, right? Again, Baltimore Ravens. He wasn't really good enough. Plus, they're still paying for Flacco, so it doesn't really count. But still, young guy has to have some talent or you end up like the Baltimore Ravens and it doesn't work. Same with, you know, as we'll probably learn with the, I shouldn't say the Jaguars because that could be a success. But it, it can't just be anybody. You do have to have some talent at quarterback. And also, you can't just throw money at defense and assume it's going to be better. You have to actually be good. But there does seem to be a, I mean, and again, I, I went over very, very, very in-depth, team by team, year after year, looking at how important quarterback is, how important defense is, and it's kind of up in the air which is more important, but it's there is no question those are the two most important aspects, quarterback and defense, not wide receiver, not, you know, it's just, that's it. Packers do have and have had a quarterback for a very long time. 2010, the last time the Packers had a good defense. Super Bowl right I mean think about that it's not like we had a I mean I'm just saying that's that's enough to to make a Super Bowl viable we didn't have to win the Super Bowl that year but guess what one year of a good defense was enough and Aaron Rodgers took care of the rest just give me a good defense give me a top 10 defense give me a top five defense there's no reason we can't win a Super Bowl Aaron Rodgers is still a very very good quarterback let's get him a good defense and we're, we're an offensive-minded team, we're an offensive-minded fan base. We, we always will be, we, we always have been, always will be. And I do think that tends to be our identity, and I do think teams should play to their identity, including historical identity, as weird as that sounds, as much as I hate people that look back over history and like, oh, the, the Lions haven't won a game here in 15 years, therefore they're not going to win this game. That's not how you do analysis, man. Brand new team. Two brand new teams. Not one person from 15 years ago is currently playing in, in the NFL. Why the team from 15 years ago has any bearing on this game in your mind is baffling to me. But there seems to be something weird about it. Again, Minnesota Vikings, Purple People leaders. they got back to defense, suddenly they're good again. The Bears are trying offense, offense, offense. We've got to get a quarterback. We've got to get an offensive guru. We've got to get a, a Mark Tressman in here. we got to get all these guys that are offensive guys. These are quarterback whisperers. Doesn't work. They bring in an offensive-minded guy, but Vic Fangio, the defensive coordinator, he was the guy. The Bears weren't even trying to get back to their defensive identity. They just happened to draft well on defense, get a very good defensive coordinator who did an incredible job building up the defense, and then they add in Khalil Mack, boom, Monsters of the Midway's back. And suddenly they're back into to contention again. So I do think we're going to have to play to our identity. This will be, has to be an offensive football team. But I also think that we will not get back to the Super Bowl until we can be at least a top 10 defense. And however you want to measure that, I don't care. But you understand what I'm saying. There can't be any question. If we have to sit here and waffle about, well, maybe they're kind of this, kind of I don't know. Probably not good enough. right? I'm not talking about Dom Capers' top 10, where it's like, well, if you look at this one category, technically we are top No, that doesn't count, and you know it, and you're a liar, and you need to just sit down. Ben don't break. I mean, you look at if you look at uh, go away, actual good defense, not number games, suffocating teams that actually struggle to get first downs. We know what it's like because we we've we've every team has played against them. You know what those defenses are like. I mean, even when the the Packers offense was was dominant, there were those teams that just it's like pulling teeth, just trying to convert a third and three. Like, please, just. Come on. You know, 13-play drives just to get all the way down the field, and it had to be like a Super Bowl drive. You're pulling out trick plays and stuff. Just trying to squeeze out those little bit of yards just to eke across that line. Dominance on every play. That That's just what good defenses are. That's the Bears. You know, the Ravens, the Colts from last year, the Cowboys. I mean, it's just suffocating. Frustrating is, is maybe the best way to put it. Just, man, would you guys let up for a second? Please. Vikings from two years ago, that was just so frustrating to play against. You know, Seahawks for about a four- to five-year stretch where it was just like you can't throw against them, you can't run against them. They're too fast, they're too strong. It just felt like you were playing. And that's what it feels like. A good defense feels like they have 15 guys on the field. How in the world can you rush five and still feel like everybody's double-covered down the field? That's what it feels like on every play. Pressure on every play. Everybody's covered. How is this possible? That's what a good defense is. That's what the Packers have never really had, and that's what I want to get back to. And when I mean back, I don't even necessarily mean back to 2010. If you think that's what they were in 2010, cool, yeah, great, awesome, then let's get back to that. When I say get back, I'm talking about back to before I was born, <laughs> like Ray Nitschke days. But anyways, let's continue on with his, his new question, because that was just his, I believe, question that I didn't answer. And again, I probably answered what he wasn't even saying, but I'm really struggling to understand. So the second part of his question was kind of playing off that a little bit, but saying that, you know, as far as trends go, one of the things that we see a lot is when you get these young quarterbacks, sometimes we pair them with new young head coaches. You look at Goff and McVay. You look at Trubisky and Nagy. And not necessarily young age-wise, but like new young, quote-unquote, quote innovative, right, modern. Um, there's also examples of, you know, some older coaches coming in with younger um, you know, quarterbacks, which happens kind of all the time, but this is a little bit of a rare dynamic between a young coach, I mean, young in age, also young in terms of modern, coming into the league or coming into a team with an older player. Now, granted, we're talking about basically the same age, but in terms of coaching years and quarterback years, we're talking about like an 80-year-old and a 10-year-old, right? And that presents somewhat of a different dynamic. I was trying to think of, of times in which this has happened before the you know the one thing that came to mind was maybe Matt Patricia in, in Detroit you know he's 44 first time head coach coming into the league with a veteran quarterback but but the other part that he had pointed out is not only is this just a veteran presence but he's a strong personality and and Aaron Rodgers doesn't mess around and he's a dominant kind of guy and I I do think I you know I I don't like the narrative that he's just he he's he doesn't listen to anybody, but I, I tend to think Aaron Rodgers is the kind of guy that he's no-nonsense, and he's, he's the perfect kind of guy to have on a team because he's serious business. He wants to win, unbelievably competitive. The problem is, and, and this is why the things kind of got messed up between he and McCarthy, and apparently this was going on for several years, but there was friction because apparently McCarthy was doing things that weren't very smart, and Aaron Rodgers looked at that, and he just had zero tolerance for it. So he, he's one of those guys who's, you know, you could say he has a big heart. He really cares about people. He's a hard worker. He just has zero tolerance for incompetence. And I you know, don't mean to be too harsh and, and say that Mike McCarthy was incompetent, but he, he just doesn't have any patience, right? Not good with kids, I guess you could say. And that can be problematic. So here, here's my thought. And, and this is one of the things, and I've voiced this a little bit, that does concern me about this. And it's part of the reason I talk about protecting the locker room because I re- recognize how volatile this is. We need the locker room to work. And the most important aspect, and when I say locker room, it doesn't physically mean that room. I'm talking about the interpersonal relationships between the players and each other, the players and the coaches. All this stuff needs to work together, and these guys need to not only get along, but have a common vision, to be excited about it, to be motivated to move forward, and that means everybody, but especially the quarterback and head coach. And as far as predicting, well, here's what I'll say first of all. I I don't think the age in the youth necessarily is a negative or even a positive for that matter. You know, LaFleur has talked about it as being maybe a positive because we can kind of see eye to eye and I, I think maybe there's some truth to that. Not exactly necessarily age, although there could be some communication things that are beneficial being kind of the same age generationally. But also again being modern and and being sort of a, a creative and, and I, I think the biggest thing though, forget all that stuff. It's the fact that LaFleur is coming in with a with an energy. And I think that's a good thing that, that uh, Aaron Rodgers is going to respect. I think a big part of the reason that guys are getting frustrated, that David Bakhtiari is getting frustrated, I think a big part of the reason HaHa Clinton-Dix was getting frustrated. I, I, to be completely honest, and I, I don't know this, this is just me reading tea leaves here, I think HaHa Clinton-Dix gave up on a team that gave up. I think he looked around, he was the kind of guy that was motivated and ready to roll, and he was looking around at a bunch of players that didn't care, coaches that didn't care, an organization that just seemed like they didn't care. And again, this is why Mark Murphy came in heavy-handed and said enough is enough. And that's what they're trying to fix. You've got some guys that are pulling all their weight, who are putting in all the work, who are doing everything, and some guys that just don't care. And the process of purging the guys that don't care and trying to bring in this energy is kind of the big thing. And I really think as long as Matt LaFleur is showing up with that kind of energy and intensity and demands perfection... And I I think that's that's the thing with Aaron Rodgers. He expects perfection, but he's not going to be the coach. He doesn't want to be the coach. He wants to just perform and be perfect and expects everyone else to be up to that level. And if they're not, he expects the coaches to get in their face and say, that's not good enough. He doesn't want to have to go to the podium and say, hey, these wide receivers can't figure it out. This isn't good enough. He expects the coaches to expect that out of them. He expects the coaches to say, you're not doing good enough. He wants the wide receiver coaches to say, that's not good enough. So I think it's, it's going to be the energy, but largely it's going to be a, a high level of expectation that's leveled by the coaches, by the GM, by everybody on this franchise. That's going to be enough for Aaron Rodgers to say, okay, I'm in. I think another important thing is, is shipping everybody off. Not just saying, okay, if you have a bad attitude, you're gone, but you will perform. Right, there was a time, and I've talked about how the Packers were—it's—it's it's sort of like uh, the the Acme Packers Union, where you know once you get in, you get tenured and you don't leave. I mean, really, how how often did Packers players ever leave? They just didn't. You know, you, you kind of tail off, and, and eventually you just kind of retire a Packer, right? It's kind of a mutual parting of ways. I mean, that that's part of the draft and develop philosophy, and it it just kind of, as I've said before, it kind of just got to a point where it was draft and develop to a fault. We drafted you, you developed, we developed you, you're a Packer, and you stay here. Same with undrafted free agents, right? That's a big reason that we do really well with undrafted free agents because undrafted free agents are not only very likely to see the field, but very likely to stay Green Bay Packers. They want you to stay. And, and that's that's a good thing for getting undrafted free agents. I don't think it's necessarily a good thing for building a Super Bowl caliber team. And I think the new philosophy of you will perform or you will be gone, whether you're a coach, from head coach, position coach, whatever or player, whether you've been here 10 years, two years, I don't care. I don't care what your contract is, Nick Perry. I don't care when you were drafted, haha, Clinton Dix. I don't care about any of this stuff. And and Ted Thompson absolutely did. If he drafted you in the first round, you were staying. And and again, not only staying, but playing. Look at Demarius Randall. Now, granted, maybe we messed up, should have put him at safety. But the fact that, first of all, he stayed on the team and had a bad attitude and was terrible, I mean, there were undrafted free agents ready to go that came on the field and played better than Demarius Randall did at corner. We refused to pull Demarius Randall because it's pedigree. We drafted you in the first round. You're the guy. And that kind of breeds all this entitlement and laziness and don't show up to meetings on time. And then coaches don't care. And it just, again, it's very, very just toxic. And, and I think the guys that we need to be catering to are the guys, again, like Bakhtiari like Rodgers, the guys that show up on time, who put in all the work, who are pulling all their weight. And and the fact of the matter is, they're the standard. They're the ones catered to. And if you're not up to standard, we're going to be in your face 24-7. And if you don't respond in a positive way, if you've got an attitude, if you're not showing up on time, you will be disciplined up to and including being cut or traded. Zero tolerance policy. And that was instituted last year. I think that's important, but 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 not just the negative we we also gotta work in terms of the positive. Right, that that was the stick. That was the Green Bay Packers who have never done anything like that, going around just beating everybody with sticks and saying, Now you see what we do if you don't shape up. LaFleur hopefully is gonna come in and be the positive and and bring in this positive energy and bring in the the, the motivation and and the creativity and the, the, the the new standard that everyone needs to be up to. And also again, this is part of the reason where Free agency is so important where we got to get good high character guys. Adrian Amos, very high character guy. Preston Smith, very good guy. Zadarius Smith, very good guy. Billy Turner, no idea. Seems to be a pretty good guy. I don't know. I saw a video of him like dancing in his car. That's that's all I know about Billy Turner. But I know Preston and Zadarius are both dads, they're family guys. Amos is well known as a as a locker room guy. Th- these are leaders. These are leaders, but they're also workers, and they're grinders. Preston and Zedarius were not early-round guys. Adrian Amos was not early-round guys. These are late-round guys who put in hard work and worked their way up to the top, are, are great on the field, who've put in the time, who are great in the locker room, who, who are, are great with their teammates, they're great with their coaches. This is the standard. They're coming in fully understanding the standard. Aaron Rodgers is already to the standard. Bakhtiari's to the standard. You know, Aaron Jones is there. Jair is there. We've got a lot of young, talented guys that want to put in the work. And if as long as you're here to work, you're going to stay at Green Bay Packer. But we need to elevate the standard. We're not just going to ride on our history. We're not just going to walk in at the beginning of, of the year talking about all the, all the Super Bowl titles and how great and how honored you must be to be here and then just go call a bunch of plays and see what everybody feels like doing, show up when you want to show up, put in the work if you want to put in the work. Now we're going to live the standard right now, and you will be up to the standard or you will be gone. And Brian Gutekunst will make sure that that is the case. And, and remember, Mike McCarthy was not on board with these cuttings. He was not on board with this stuff. Mike McCarthy would never have shipped off HaHa ha Clinton Dix. I don't believe that for a second. I don't think Mike McCarthy really cared as much about the locker room. And I think that's part of what the frustration came from, and I think that's what boiled over with Aaron Rodgers. He was forced to be the coach. He was forced to, 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 to say things that he didn't feel like he needed to say. I'm not the coach. I shouldn't be the one telling you guys to do this kind of stuff. You know, you, you listen to what uh, Mercedes Lewis had said um, in his interview, you know, a couple weeks back or whatever, talking about the Green Bay Packers. You know, he came in and made a comment about walkthroughs and said, listen, guys, when we're doing walkthroughs, we need to be serious about this, and the only person who should be talking is Aaron Rodgers. We shouldn't be talking and goofing around and acting dumb and doing all this crazy stuff, and apparently Aaron Rodgers pulled him aside later and he said, thank you for doing that. We haven't had a guy that said something like that in a long time. What does that tell you? Number one, we don't have leaders on this team, and that includes Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is not the guy that's going to pull people aside. He's not going to, because again, and he, he, he even said that in that interview, or maybe, I don't know, was it him or somebody else? But the the point is, he said, Aaron Rodgers, isn't the kind of guy who's going to tell you you're messing up. I'm done with you. He's just going to not deal with, he's just going to close you out, right? You're done. You're not putting in the effort. You're not getting the ball. You're done. He's not, he's not a leader. And I don't super care. But he does have high expectations. So he's not going to tell you, this is my expectation, you're not meeting it. He's just going to cut you off. And and he's kind of getting walled off. Right there's not too many people left. All the guys that put in the work. Jordy Nelson is gone. Randall Cobb is gone. All these guys, the offensive linemen, these guys that are grinders, the late round guys like Josh Sitton, who grinded his way up to the top as one of the best guards in the NFL, he's gone. TJ Lang, a, you know, a guy that worked his way to being one of the better right guards in the NFL, who just retired, by the way. Best of luck to you, TJ Lang. Gone. Getting replaced by young guys that don't seem to be putting in the work quite as much. They're goofing around. They're young. They're having fun. And you got a veteran coming in. To this supposedly, you know, when you think about Green Bay Packers, I, I assumed it was run like the, the Patriots, like no nonsense, real discipline. That apparently was not the case. So much so that you have a tight end coming and being like, dude, guys, shush. You can't talk. Why are you acting crazy? Aaron Rodgers is the only one talking and you need to be listening. Why aren't the coaches doing that? You want to know why there's friction? You want to know why Aaron Rodgers has a bad rap for being a bad guy and this and that? It has nothing to do with him being a bad person or having a bad attitude. He's just tired of it. This never cropped up until the Packers started losing. And I think that that is a symptom, not the problem. Aaron Rodgers isn't the problem. He is the symptom. He is that thing that you see that by the time you see it, it's already too late. You're done. You're dead. The cancer has spread too far. There's no coming back. So we're starting over. But I I do think that's one of the most important things beyond scheme, beyond anything else, even beyond the interpersonal relationship between two young guys. How's that going to work out and all this stuff? And is he going to be able to listen? I don't think he's going to have a problem listening so long as he's worthy of listening to. Now, I understand that that's not how it should be, right? You're the quarterback. You're a player. You shut your mouth. You do what you're told. That's how it should be. That's not what it is, though. And the fact of the matter is I can get behind this to some degree because his whole standard is, listen, if you're just up to my standard, I'll listen. That's not how it should work, but that's what it is. And the fact of the matter is if the coach isn't up to the standard anyways and if he doesn't demand the players be up to the standard anyways, we're kind of in trouble anyways. You should be up to the standard. That I mean, you know. I mean it's it's great if you guys can get along if the coach isn't doing a good job, but that we're, we're still not going to win if the coach isn't doing a good job. That makes sense? So, yes, it matters. They need to get along. They need to have a relationship. And Aaron Rodgers does seem to be the kind of person who cherishes relationships, but he has a small group. And if the if the quarterback coach, offensive coordinator, head coach can be in that inner circle, that would be great. But it's going to require you to be somebody who supports Aaron Rodgers on and off the field. you got to be, especially on the field, you have to be able to implement, you know, whatever, I'm, I'm, I'm talking in circles here. But that's going to be the biggest thing and I think Kunst is doing a fantastic job by by getting rid of the people that aren't putting in the work. As much as it looks like he's not supporting Aaron Rodgers by getting rid of Jordy and he's not happy about that, but as much as he's getting rid of guys like Randall Cobb, I think he's he's you know that doesn't help, but I do think Zadarius and Preston and Amos are going to help a lot. These are these are guys who have been around a while. These are guys who come from from great locker rooms, you know, you look at Zadarius Smith, he learned from from Suggs, Terrell Suggs. That's awesome. The locker room needs leadership. There is a void of leadership. And Aaron Rodgers, again, has no interest in filling that void. The coaches didn't want to step in and do anything about it. Somebody's got to step up and do it. And, it, you know, it might be weird for a guy like Zedarius to, to kind of step in and be that guy or whatever, but somebody has to do it. Because otherwise you just got a bunch of guys just doing whatever. And, again, that's what Ha-Ha was talking about two years ago at the end of the season when they fired Dom Capers and he was mad about it. He said, it's not Dom. He's not the problem. It's everybody else not putting in the work. He said, I'm here to play, I'm here to work, and you got a bunch of guys that show up, they don't want to listen, they don't want to put in the work, they're here, you know, they're just coasting because they're veterans, or they're young guys and they just want to get paid, and there's this and there's that, and I'm just here trying to work, and nobody wants to work, and again, I think that's where HaHa just went the wrong way. And I think you got a bunch of, that's what happens. When nobody's putting in the work and everybody's getting paid anyways, why? What's the point? Why do you have to put in the work if nobody else does? Why do you have to be up early? Why do you have to be in the gym early? Why do you have to get to the meetings on time? Why do you have to be the one guy that cares, especially if you're on defense? And again, just like I don't want every podcast to be about Antonio Brown, Antonio Brown, that guy, I don't want everything to be about HaHa Clinton Dix all the time, but that's part of the reason I'm concerned about him with Chicago. Give him a newfound energy. Put him in a locker room filled with guys that care, with leadership, With a solid defense that actually cares about playing good defense. Let's not pretend the Washington Redskins have their stuff together. That team is in massive disarray. They don't know what they're doing over there. Chicago, different animal. Young, strong, leadership coming from their head coach and Nagy. The guy knows what he wants and he implements. And the guys listen. And that defense learned from Vic Fangio, who had that defense ship shape. So it's, it's an important dynamic, but I'm not putting a lot of it on age. I really don't think Aaron Rodgers is necessarily going to look down his nose. There might be some of that. But again, I think the important thing for LaFleur is to come in and just do the work. Just come in and do the work. Um, demonstrate that you're going to do the work. Have the energy. Have the passion. Be a leader. Demand perfection. Aaron Rodgers will respect you. You know, Come in and l- listen to Aaron Rodgers. Work with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, it's, it's not wrong that Aaron Rodgers feels like he knows some stuff and should have some, I've I've been saying for a long time, he should have input. It's so weird that I'm alone on this island. First of all, please understand that input is not decision-making. You you do realize those are not the same thing, right? Because every time I say he should have input, you say, no, that's not his job. He's not the GM. He shouldn't be making decisions. Nobody said making decisions. Who said making decisions? Did I say making decisions? Because I feel like I wouldn't say something like that. Because he shouldn't make decisions. I don't want him to be the GM. But you're telling me the GM should make decisions without asking him? You're telling me the head coach should just draw up an entire game plan, should draw up an entire offense without consulting the guy that's been here? Come on now. That's silliness. That's nonsense. But yes, it it is very important, and um, that would be my answer to that question. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. There's a bunch of other questions I'm not going to be able to get to, but I, I must have been asked, I think, three, maybe four times in the last 24 hours, probably because there was an article about it or whatever. Again, not really a a insider-type article, but just sort of like, oh, this would make sense. But apparently, everybody wants to know if Eric Berry would be a good fit for the Green Bay Packers. So the first thing that comes to mind as soon as everybody asks is the salary cap. It, it's kind of, you know, muddled. But here's the best I can kind of make of this situation. First of all, there's there's the question of, of the draft pick. So right now, if you look at over the cap, they say we have $13.576 million in cap space. So here's how I calculate out how much the draft picks are going to cost. If you look at what um, the over the cap says about the draft pick, they calculate out all of our picks and we have 10 of them. There's pick 12, 30, 44, blah, 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 blah. If you add the what what you have to pay these guys in their contracts uh, at those picks, it comes out to ten million three hundred four thousand two hundred eleven dollars. Now, because of the top fifty one rule, that means that we're going to have ten guys getting pushed down through the bottom of the top fifty one. So, if you think about it, if if the guys at the bottom are all making five hundred seventy thousand, let's just say, ish, right? It's also going to mean that you know our, our seventh round pick making five nineteen and our sixth round pick making 538000 that these guys are going to also be not in the top 51. But in general, let's just say it's about $550,000. Well, how many guys are getting pushed down? Well, we've got 10 picks, meaning 10 guys are getting pushed down. 10 times 5.0 five or $500,000 is what? Or, or $550,000 is what? It's 5.5 million. So if we take the 10.3 million that we're signing, but subtract the 5.5 million, we're at about $4.5 million it's going to cost us. Now, here's the situation. In general, as I understand it, you need to have the money to re-sign your guys. We said it's about four and a half, maybe five-ish. We'll call it four and a half just to try to keep it to see, okay, how much money do we have left over for Barry? We're going to call it $4.5 That puts us at a little over $9 million. Now, something else that isn't really talked about very often is typically teams want to have about a million dollars on hand for the practice squad. Now, I don't really think so. So here's the situation: the, the practice squad players, you can pay them whatever you want. So some of these guys, to be able to retain them, they, they're probably going to be inside your top 51. As, as counterintuitive as that might seem, some of these, you know, you might have some guys making 600,000 or whatever. But still, you got to subtract out the the whole top 51 thing. But if you think about it, if if you got 10 guys on the practice squad who are making 600,000, that comes out to 100,000 over which would be about a million dollars, which most of these guys aren't going to be over into the 600000 but still, you can understand why you want to have a million dollars on hand to be able to play with, to be able to offer guys more money to be on your practice squad. So that that is my understanding, that GMs coming into, into the season want to have a million dollars on hand to at least be able to offer practice squad guys a little bit extra cash to be on the practice squad. That leaves us at just barely over $8 million. The other aspect teams like to have roughly 8 to $10 million going into the season to be able to replace players that get up get injured. So basically, doing the math of what I understand in terms of what we have to pay our draft picks, what we want to have on hand for practice squad, what we want to have on hand for um, you know the regular season, the Packers have put us at exactly that number. Because if I subtract about the $8 million, it puts us at exactly zero, meaning the Packers have exactly the amount of money they need to carry them into the regular season meaning we're not signing anybody. Now, that doesn't necessarily have to be the case, but I think if we spend too much more without either restructuring somebody, cutting somebody, whatever, we're sort of putting ourselves in a not great situation. In other words, even if we only end up paying Barry $4 million this year, we're still about $4 million less than where we should be. So I feel like the Packers did a really good job of making sure that they they have about the money that they're going to need. But, you know, who knows? You know, you can move money around players can still be cut team or contracts can still be restructured and obviously you look at the way that they structure a lot of these salary caps i don't know how much money eric Berry is going to command but you look at the structure of a lot of these other guys you know zadarius smith is technically averaging 16 million a year which i know is kind of iffy depending on if you want to look at guarantees or however you want to look at it but big money we're talking about 16 million but his cap hit is only seven so it's less than 50 percent so again if you sign the guy to an eight-year or a seven-year contract, you're looking at, you know less than four million dollars a year to, to replicate this kind of a, a, a contract. You know, I mean, if we just use the exact same percentage on an eight million dollar contract, his cap hit would be about 3.6 million dollars this year. It's not super devastating. I think the Packers could do it if they were interested. Um, obviously again, supermarket thing, right? Who knows where he wants to go and all this stuff. Maybe he's getting bigger offers. The fact that he's getting later into free agency is a good thing. But let me just say this, though. I I did do a little bit of homework, and, and based on everything I said, please remember everything that I had just said about Aaron Rodgers, about the locker room, and the need for leadership, this vacuum that somebody needs to fill. And let me tell you right now, I don't care what it takes. I really feel like Eric Berry needs to be on this team. I don't say stuff like that. I don't. I I don't make declarative statements like that. I feel like that's something that a lot of fans do that I try to shy away from and I try to look at things, if anything, from a more negative standpoint. But just based on what I feel this defense needs, it doesn't need more first-round, early-round talent. We've infused more talent into this defense than anybody anywhere. All we do is, I mean, our our entire defense is nothing but first-round draft picks everywhere. There's a leadership vacuum, and I don't know that there's anybody out there in the free agency market, and very few people anywhere in the NFL that have the leadership characteristics of a guy like Eric Berry. This is beyond PFF score. This is beyond the injuries. This is a guy who can impact this defense if he never takes a single snap. Just get him on our sideline. I want to read a couple things to you here. Here is a story from SB Nation's Arrowhead Pride. I believe this is the same website, the SB Nation website, where I got the insights on our new outside linebacker coach from D Ford and how great he was as a, as a coach. Here's the title of the the article here by Joel Thorman. This Eric Berry story shows shows his off-the-charts leadership skills. So I'll skip ahead to the parts that actually matter here. I spoke to someone within the organization after the Raiders game two weeks ago who said that there's an added energy when Eric Berry is around. He's constantly talking to players on the sidelines, showing them what he's seeing in games. I talked to middle linebacker Reggie Ragland, who, is, who is who has the headset and makes the calls, and he told me every week during the week, Eric Berry stands me up in front of other members of the defense and quizzes me about what he knows about our opponent and their favorite routes, about their favorite plays. He goes through a quizzing process with me, and everything he does, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week, has spread through the defense. I think sometimes that the -the off-the-field value some players can bring is overstated, not with Barry. Frankly, it's probably understated. This guy is a unique human being with leadership skills off the charts. I feel better about the Chiefs knowing Barry is around. I think he makes a difference, even from the sidelines. I got something else I want to read. This is from the Chiefs.com by B.J. Kissel, Chiefs reporter. Another example of how Eric Berry's leadership knows no bounds. He doesn't seek recognition for what he does or who he is, which makes you want to share the stories of what he does even more. It's just hard to find them. He doesn't boast about the plays he makes or the impact he has on an individual, which makes you want to promote his stats and show his game-changing plays even more. It's just hard when he won't talk much about them. He doesn't pound his chest about overcoming cancer and being named an all-pro less than a, a year after his initial diagnosis, which makes you and everyone else want to pound your chest for him. There aren't many, if any, like Kansas City Chief Safety Eric Berry, whose leadership knows no bounds and is always mentioned, up, always mentioned upon the first uttering of his name. And yet, here's another story of his behind-the-scenes leadership, which is only known because of off-comment, which is, I don't know if that's said properly or what, because of off-comment from a player who was asked to talk about plays he made one day at minicamp. As Chiefs' second-year safety Jordan Stearns walked off the field on a blazing hot afternoon following the team's second day at minicamp, he was asked about an interception he made that day at practice, a routine sight this offseason for the former Oklahoma star who was fighting for a spot on the roster. After a quick comment about the play he made, which, as he explained, was merely him being blah-blah-blah-blah, he was in the right place at the right time, Stearns explained that Barry, who was entering his ninth year in the league, had spent some extra time with him and third-year safety Eric Murray at the beginning of offseason workout. During Phase 1 of the NFL's offseason program, the players are allowed to run and lift weights, but that's about it. They can't do anything with the coaching staff. So for three weeks, Barry would go to the defensive backs meeting room with Stearns and Murray and lead a film-watching session following their workouts that day, which would last a little more than an hour each time. They would focus on one team and one game each day, breaking it down to the finest of points. Before we move on, who's doing this in Green Bay? Who's the guy? When have we ever read an article like this about anybody in Green Bay? Give me one name. Did Clay Matthews ever do this to the young outside linebackers? I love Clay. I watch him the best. He was a great Packer. Did he ever do this? Did Nick Perry ever do this? Does Mike Daniels do this? Again, I I don't want to trash anybody. I love the guys. We got great players. Who's a leader? Does Aaron Rodgers do this? Does Devontae? Did Jordy? Does Cobb? We got great players, great Packers. That's awesome. We need a leader. We don't need everybody to be a leader. Somebody's got to do it. Give me one name. Continuing on. He definitely led it, Stearns explained To those sessions. He was just sharing his knowledge. He told us where certain offenses like to take shots and other stuff that I didn't really notice, like how certain teams like to get the ball to their best players in certain situations. It was just more context clues within the game of studying your opponent, how someone is moving and what kind of tendencies they're giving off with their body, Murray added. It was just more in-depth and more in detail. When asked about those meetings, Barry, who came across a little embarrassed to talk about himself as a leader in, the, in that way, spoke with a reverence that could That's come to define the man beyond the plays he makes, beyond the cancer he defeated, beyond the box scores that he filled to the tune of five Pro Bowls and five healthy seasons of his career to this point. We're a team, Barry intently explained. Things happen during the season where the next man has got to be up. I truly don't believe in second team or third team. I was taught that if you're in the game, you're a starter, so I treat everybody like they're a starter. Once you're in, everybody else is going to treat you like a starter as well, so I'm just preparing them before they get on the field so it won't be too big for them. They can already be ahead and be thinking about what they need to be doing. Now, I'm just going to stop there, but give me a break if you don't think Eric Berry, I I I don't care. I think Eric Berry on this team could have a bigger impact off the field than guys like Zedarius and Preston and Adrian Amos and Billy Turner. That, that's a ridiculous statement, but I, I again, I'm not looking at Eric Berry anymore as far as his PFF score, which, which, you know, whatever you want to call it, I don't care. His stats, clearly, clearly a very good football player when he's healthy. His, his abilities on the field could be very, very beneficial, but his ability to make sure that Adrian Amos reaches his full, full potential, how valuable is that? Just Adrian Amos. His ability to make sure Jair Alexander is reaching his full potential, how important is that? Kevin King, Josh Jackson, even having just a, a leader on the defense who's making sure guys like Oren Burks and, and Josh Jones and Zadarius and all these guys coming into this locker room, these are the guys that can make it new a new mentality, a new attitude, a new focus on, again, each other, as I talked about several days ago. You want to be on a team where everybody's focus is on everybody else because on that team you've got 52 guys who are focused on you and your only job is to make sure that your focus is on everybody else. Eric Berry's the kind of guy that instills that kind of leadership. Again, Zadarius Smith came from a place where, where, where that kind of thing was going on daily. That is just the culture in Baltimore. Guys like Suggs made sure that that was the culture. And again, Adrian Amos coming from Chicago and the fact that these guys have overcome so much. Adrian Amos, a fifth-round pick. Darius Smith was basically a nobody coming out of college, worked his way up to being one of the highest-paid outside linebackers in the NFL. Billy Turner, nobody even to this day wants to talk about Billy Turner. He's getting his, his opportunity in Green Bay. He worked his way up, playing every single position for th- you know three different teams, from right tackle, left tackle, left guard, right guard, playing every single wear, and now he's going to come in here as a grinder. And then you bring in a guy like Eric Berry who has natural leadership ability that not only has overcome a lot, I mean, we're talking about cancer. This is real life. This isn't some fake rah-rah speech. We're not getting a guy in here who's just going to pump you up, like get you all jacked up on, you know, loud music and stuff. This is real. This is a great football player with a massive heart for teaching and training and, and just cares about the game of football. And I feel like, as great as the Green Bay Packers are, and you look at all the stuff, and, and we and I spend too much time looking at X's and O's, and, and, and you, you look at PFF scores and stats and NFL you know, passer ratings and all these different things. What's missing is beyond the stat sheet in Green Bay. That's, none of that is really missing. I mean, some of it is. But again, why don't we? We have first round draft picks. Why do they play like they're undrafted free agents? What is really missing? Why did ha fall off? Why did Perry fall off? Why did Clay fall off? Why can't guys reach their potential? Why are our drafted guys not meeting their potential? What is going on in Green Bay? We need guys like Eric Berry on this team. That's what we're missing. I haven't read any of the articles, but I've seen the headlines. Eric Berry would be a good fit in Green Bay. That's an understatement. I don't know what we have to do to make it happen. I don't know what it's going to take to make it happen. But I think he could be that sort of Charles Woodson leader on a defense. Now, what is his impact on the field? I think he's a, a massive upgrade. But beyond that, even if it's short-term, just to show the young guys what a defense should look like, what a leader looks like, what what just being a good person and a good teammate means in a locker room. We have so much youth that need to see the right direction to go to make sure that they can be Green Bay Packers and and stay up to a certain standard from now until their second contract and their third contract, playing for the Green Bay Packers for five, six, seven, eight years. Who's going to come in here and make sure that Jair doesn't become the next ha-ha, a guy that works hard and grinds and gets to be where he is and then just gives up because nobody else cares on this team? I don't want that to continue. And I think whatever it takes... Whatever it takes to make sure, and if if we're there already, if Zedarius and Preston and Amos and all these guys are gonna make sure that we're at that level, because we've got uh, Mike Daniels, who is a grinder, who's a worker, who's who's one of those guys who was a later round draft pick, who was underrated, who worked his way up to being one of the better defensive tackles. Kenny Clark obviously is a hard worker, a great player. We've got the guys, maybe we're already there, fine. But I, I just I feel like as I've said, this is stuff that brings you up to zero. I think Eric Berry brings us over the top. Not not even because of his on-the-field play, which I think is really impressive. I think what he can do to elevate everybody else. He is a multiplier, not just for the safeties, not just for the secondary, for the team, including the offense, to be that presence in the locker room. So to answer all of your questions, yes, I do think Eric Berry would be worth making a few phone calls and trying to figure out how to get him in Green Bay. I don't know financially how we make that work. I mean, we do have the money, but I feel like we have... You know, it's it's kind of like saying we need about a 13 million dollar cushion. We have 13 million dollars, so in a sense, we have zero dollars left. But um, yeah, I I I uh, I hope the Packers are at least inquiring and trying to to explore their options because this is what we need. There are very few people with this kind of these these kinds of attributes and this, these kinds of characteristics. And for a a guy like me who's been banging the table for leadership in locker room, leadership in locker room, locker room, locker room, locker room. This is it, man. For me, this is it. For other people, it's, it's Earl Thomas, who's obviously, I was on board with Earl Thomas, but it's about play. It's about give me elite players. It's about give me Antonio Brown. I don't want him. I don't want Le'Veon Bell. I want I want Eric Berry. That's where I'm coming from. So anyways, that's going to be it for me. Um, we'll see what happens. My, my assumption is we will not get Eric Berry. I don't think financially we have what it takes. Uh, also, if you look at just the, the way that the trajectory of getting younger guys that are going to be long-term, whatever. I don't know. Even a one-year? Can we do one year? I don't know. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Friday, and I will talk to you, as always, tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.